we didn't come out trying to tell people how to be cool. We came out telling people we think they're cool the way they are. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. My guest today is Fran Dunaway. Fran is the co-founder of a brand called Tomboy X. So Fran, what I would like you to do is give us the backstory of how you ended up in the Seattle area, because you're not a native. So how'd you end up in Seattle? Uh, That is correct. I am not a Seattle native. I had just graduated with a master's from the University of Missouri in Columbia. And uh, my girlfriend and I were trying to decide whether to move to the mountains of Colorado or to the beaches of Florida. We came to Vancouver Island on a whim and, uh, and ended up realizing that you could have both beaches and mountains. And so uh, it was a pretty easy decision after that. we Loaded up the pickup a few months later and and made the trek cross country. So how long have you was, been? Yeah, that was in 1987. So I feel like I'm a Washington native at this yeah, point. Yeah, you, you you get the pass. I think you you've been you've been there a long time. So that's interesting that you you, you were in Missouri. What'd you get? What'd you get your master's in? I got a master's of education in counseling psychology. At the time, I was working in. Uh, group homes for uh, uh, developmentally disabled uh, children and adults, and so uh, that was that was the degree that I got and brought out to the Northwest. Okay, so what's changed here since nineteen? I'm just curious. I'm curious to see your take on it. So what's changed since 1987? Traffic mean, for one thing. I mean, let's just Washington be honest. Area? Yeah. Well, you know, I started out. I didn't want to live in the big city of of uh, Seattle. Uh, well, more specifically, my girlfriend didn't. And uh, we ended up in Bellingham and, you know, thinking what well, was a little larger. The ideal town to us was Port Townsend, but we thought, well, we don't want to end up bagging groceries with a master's degree. So better better head to Bellingham. And it turns out that the people bagging groceries had their master's degree there as well. So uh, it was it was a challenge to kind of we were wanting to get out of the kind of uh group home world and do something different. But uh, lo and behold, ended up opening the first uh, medically fragile group homes for kids in Washington state. Oh, and, and that was in Bellingham? That was the first, uh, the first one was actually located in McConnor. Okay. And, uh, and then we expanded. So within five years, I was the executive director of the agency and had over 60 clients and 40 employees. Wow. Okay. Um, I, that makes me just think of herding cats. I mean, I, it just, just, it's a lot like that. That just seems to be, wow. Okay. Yeah. So when did you move down into the Puget Sound area? In 1994, moved to Seattle. Okay. And uh, that was, uh, I had uh, changed careers. I'd sold everything and gone to film school and wanted to be a producer and so moved down to the Seattle area because it was a bigger market for the work that I was then interested in doing. 
you're interesting to me because you've, you've, you've made some serious pivots. I, that's an overused word, but it, it, wow. Okay. So you went to film, where'd you go to film school at the UW or at Vancouver, Vancouver, BC. Okay. All right. Well, it seems so different nowadays. It was easy to get to Vancouver back in the day. Now it seems like it's so, so hard. Right. So let's, let's talk, let me, let's, let me ask you about that. So what was, what was the, after film school, what was that like for you? What, what did, what projects, what type of things were you working on? Well, you know, I really loved storytelling and I'd always been kind of an amateur photographer. So um, my ideal would have been documentary at the time. It wasn't a high paying um, occupation. And so I dabble, I gave myself a year to not work or to not work for pay because you kind of have to earn your chops in the film industry. So produce a, a few independent feature films and cobbled together gigs here and there. And then um, the following year after my year was up of, of not getting paid, I started doing various video or film projects around the Puget Sound area, worked at Microsoft, did uh, a variety of things, and then picked up a seasonal client doing political uh, advertising for Democrats nationwide. And so that was, uh, that was just at the end of every year, it was like, oh, a good steady. And every year it, it took up more and more of my time. And then finally they hired me on full time. And a few years later, I uh, ended up being a partner in the media strategies firm. Wow. Okay. And then you started a <laughs> company in your garage. Correct. Like every good entrepreneur's story, it involves a garage. But before we go there, I, so I've been, okay. I don't know how much you know about this or how much research I do. Typically I do very little research on my guests because I like to be surprised the spontaneity of it. But I Googled your name and there's a lot of it. Your, your name is, you're easy to find. And so I did a lot more reading. But what I, you know, and so I'm, I'm on the Puget Sound Business Journal right now. And it says, and it's quote, so I think it's you. When we started this company, it was just supposed to be a side hustle in our one car garage. I mean, why leave a lucrative career with paychecks, vacations, and perks to leap off a cliff into the unknown? Okay. Clothing company. Super easy field, no competition, you know. But my question that I haven't found the answer to yet online is, when you, when you started this, were you actually making the clothing or were you just the design team or what? Cause that's that, that part I haven't stumbled onto yet. So can you help me? Yeah, I'd be happy to, you know, and it was just this idea. I wanted a cool button up shirt. I like a Robert Graham type of shirt or Ben Sherman and made with the fine quality fabrics that you can find in menswear, but you couldn't find in women's wear. Women's wear was much more fast fashion. So cheaper quality and no fun details around the collar, nothing with personality. And so we, I knew a friend that had worked for Tommy Bahama. So I reached out to her and said, Hey, can you help us design these shirts? And she said, sure. So she helped us design the first shirts and, and uh, we actually kind of did a mini collection, if you will, and, you know, to be clear, Naomi and I, we didn't know a nip from a woven. <laughs> oh, do you hear that? Walking? Speaking of Naomi and coffee. 
Hi, Naomi. Thank you very much. I'll have to stop when I told Naomi, could you please go up and tell the woman with the high heels upstairs to go away? But uh, so I'll just stop if I hear her walking. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, we, we had a friend who'd worked at Tommy Bahama and said, can you help us design these shirts? We designed shirts, some polos and some knit blazers. So a, a mini collection because at the beginning of this, my wife and I didn't know a knit from a woven or a P&L from a balance sheet. So we had a lot to learn. Uh, so we were fortunate in that we found this uh, a friend of ours who, who helped us in that beginning part. We were able to find a woman-owned factory here in Seattle. And she could do, she had the caliber of sewers and machinery that could uh, produce these beautiful shirts that we came out of the gate with. Okay. You can't tell it by looking at me today, but I actually really enjoy Robert Graham's shirts. So I have, I have, I have a lot of them and I I do love the attention to detail in them. They're, they're kind of cool. Exactly. So when you, so you, you launched with a mini collection how did you, now I saw that you did a, a Kickstarter, but how did you, how did you bring these to market? Were they in boutiques or did you just sell them online or at yeah. first, how did this happen? Well, at first was definitely the Kickstarter and we sold through a, 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 quite a few of them in the Kickstarter campaign. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we, we, we are still 99% direct to consumer. So yeah, we've been online. We really uh, chose a lane, which I think was an important decision for us early on. Uh, mm-hmm. Rather than becoming a wholesale company, we chose to go the D2C route. There was It was pretty nascent uh, opportunity, but there were some awesome things like uh, this new platform, commerce platform called Shopify <laughs> and a lot of plug and play. So it made it easy for us that Naomi was able to, to build the website and off we went. So Naomi built the website. Okay. And what, one of the things I read is you're kind of the, um, the big thinker, the, the, you know, the broad strokes and she's more maybe the detail orientated. Yes. Um, companies need both. I, I applaud you on that, <laughs> but the shirts, the, the initial line, but you ended up doing, you know, loungewear, maybe that's the right, what, what, you know, how did you guys get into, what you're into now, what was the, where was the, um, the kernel that that grew from? And so, you know, the, the, the reality is that we, uh, we, we, we knew we had something with the name and in about a week into the Kickstarter campaign, we had a recognition and we were like, Oh, this name is really resonating with people around the world. We were hearing from women and girls that were like, yay, you've got a, you've got a brand for me. Finally, I'm seen and heard by a, by a clothing company. And so that to us was very interesting. And I think that that was one of the smartest things we did. A, pick and stick with the name Tomboy, and then B, listen to our customer base. And so okay. there was this com- this mantra, this recurring mantra, not only from customer service, but from friends, which was, you guys should make boxer briefs for women. And we okay. didn't know that that wasn't being done. And so I went on to Nordstrom.com and typed in boxer briefs for women, and up came one pair of Spanx. And we were pretty sure that wasn't what our customer was looking for. So we said, we said, um, let's, let's, uh, pursue this and told our friend who designed our shirts that we were going a different direction. 
and put into the ether that we needed someone with sourcing and manufacturing experience that could help us with boxer briefs. A week later, we received an email from a woman who had seen our shirts in the factory nine months previous. She was impressed by the attention to detail and the quality and the name. And so she reached out to us to see if we might have any work for her. So needless to say, we hired her on the spot and uh, she set about making the first box of briefs for women. And so several months later, she found a factory up in Canada, up in Vancouver, woman-owned factory again, and they worked together to design boxer briefs for a large variety of, of fit. And uh, we, we brought them, we pre-sold them two weeks before they arrived, hoping that we would sell enough to pay for them. And lo and behold, we sold out before they arrived. How big was that initial order? If I don't know if that's an uh, okay yeah. question to ask. I think, I think there were about 1,600 units at the, in the very first order. It was one pallet full. And now we're shipping two tankers full. So that's, that's how far we've come. So first off, were you terrified when you ordered 1,600 units? Yeah, it was a little <laughs> disconcerting uh, to know that, you know, we had a $14,000 nut to crack in two weeks and did not have the money and had no idea how we were going to come up with it. So it was a bit okay. of, a, of a risk, but, you okay. know, that's that's what entrepreneurism is. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's it's you. you OK, so then you said you ship two tankers. I don't know what that phrase tankers mean what what is that oh containers is what i containers. meant on a, okay, on containers. a tanker yeah two, okay two so you're containers. shipping two containers at a time yeah i think at the, in the holidays we had four on the water wow okay yeah so you it's, sold out 1600 units and you probably at that point high-fived each other and realized you, you might have caught a tiger by the tail mm-hmm. what came next i mean what so did you go back to the factory ordering more or when did the, when did you start branching out or, or yeah, how long were you just in the, in the boxer briefs and then before you branched out into other items? It, it didn't take too long. It was, it was pretty easy because there were so many different silhouettes that we could dive into. The bigger challenge was, and, and so we, we evaluated, we looked at our numbers six months later and we tripled our revenue. So we thought, huh, Maybe we're an underwear company and that's where we need to put all of our eggs. And, but that takes some time to transition out because what we had done after the Kickstarter campaign, we knew that people were loving the name and the brand. Mm -hmm. We had instant brand recognition. If you think about that for a minute, that's hard to come by with a name. You usually have to build brand into the names, but we had instant brand recognition. And so that was when we started trying to figure out what's the smartest thing for us to do with that. And so obviously we got hats and we got t-shirts and we, uh, you know, we would buy blanks and put our logo on it and sell those. And Mm -hmm. so when we brought in the boxer briefs, we of course wanted to keep those in stock. And we, we right out of the gate, not only had diverse models and the people that we showed wearing our product, even prior to the boxer briefs, but we carried extra small through 4X right out of the gate. And that was important to us all for the same price because we felt like it was really important huh? to not have that subtle shaming of you need to shop in the women's department or the plus size area and pay more because, you know, you're bigger. And so that to us didn't didn't feel right. And I think being part of a, of a minority community, if you will, uh, that that really taught us how to 
come out of the gate being inclusive. And, and we also, from the beginning, kind of turned the whole notion of brand on its head because we, we didn't come out trying to tell people how to be cool. We came out telling people we think they're cool the way they are. And so that was a, those were key differentiators for us, whereas the inclusivity and, and the reflection of, of, of feeling good in your own skin. Now, I'm going to have to say you don't sound like an accidental entrepreneur, which is what you've stated you were. You sound like you, you came out of the gates figuring this stuff out. You, this, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you can be really be branded as an accidental entrepreneur. Where, where did you guys come up with this savvy from the very beginning? Yeah, you know, um, I'm an Army brat, and um, Naomi is from New York City. She's second-generation Cuban-American. So okay. I just think that we're scrappy and and make things work. We were always in very purpose-driven careers. I think that was an intentional in, on both of our parts, that we wanted to be uh, part of something. We we didn't want just a paycheck for a paycheck. In fact, it was a it was a conversation we had very early on, which is, you know, how do you feel about becoming a capitalist? And if we do that, uh, how do we do it in a way that that is uh, true to our values? And, and how do we uh, kind of imbue our values into every decision that we make? And so that was a conscientious decision, just based on who we are. And then I think the other critical po- component here, uh, because, it, you know, we're, we're now married, we were then girlfriends, but um, is that we both had the same uh, tolerance for risk and, okay. um, and, and, and didn't really have too much of an emotional relationship with money. And so I think those were two, two very big things. We were always just like, ah, you know, I've got a house in Mississippi. We can always end up there and grow tomatoes if we have to. So, so that, that was, that was part of it, but it was really this drive to kind of provide a, a solution, uh, fill a white space for a community that we knew very well. And uh, that was that was uh, had needs and desires. And so we we very soon started carrying different um, cuts. We next introduced our, our boy short, which is still our number one selling uh, length. We, we now carry everything from a from a thong to a six inch boxer brief. And we carry them in triple extra small through six X. So we've expanded the categories. And then we have swimwear. We have sleepwear. We have loungewear, and we recently launched activewear. Wow. Help me out here because I can't even envision what size human being would wear a triple extra small. That would be the youth. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Without going I'm, into children's clothing, we offer okay. very small sizes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Because I'm like, wow. <laughs> I was sitting with a well, 10-year-old last night and she said, "Do you have do you have my size?" and I said, "In fact, we do." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, one thing I read online since you you mentioned um Naomi is your wife now. I saw somewhere can't remember where so I can't give credit to where I read it. Your wedding was at a football game? <laughs> we had a flash flag football wedding as a matter of fact the day before the Seahawks and the uh, and the Patriots played, and it was a good thing we did it the day before because Naomi's <laughs> a, a diehard Pats fan, and uh, of oh. course I'm a Seahawks fan. I know, so she mm. wore Brady's number, and I of course wore the twelve, and we 
we realized we, we had wanted to plan, you know, much more elaborate wedding, but uh, the, the business was growing. We had just been accepted into an accelerator program. And the idea of trying to figure out how to plan a wedding a year out in the midst of growing a business was just insurmountable. So instead, we decided to invite everyone we knew to this flag football game. So nobody could say, you didn't invite me to your wedding. And so right. everyone we knew was invited to a rainy day in Seattle to play flag football. And uh, we, we had a friend who was a, a very, she was a police officer and had just coincidentally become ordained to, to get to wed some other friends of hers. And so we said, hey, can you be the, the referee for the game? And then at the halftime, you blow the whistle and we do a ceremony and surprise everyone. And so it was, it was pretty fantastic. It, you know, I, I was bleeding from a tackle and uh, even though it was flag football, of course we got a little carried away. So, so here we are out in, in Seward park and, uh, and uh, that we walk down to the water and get married. So it was pretty great. We were FaceTiming. So she, Naomi had called her parent, her brother and sister-in-law, that morning, and I called my parents. Her folks are in New York, and mine are in Mississippi. And so I called my parents and said, "Hey, we're getting married tonight at six. Be ready." And it was really hysterical because we had them on Facetime. We had designated two people to hold them on Facetime so they could join us. And my parents, my dad, military. He's in his dress blues, and my mother's got a gown on. They've got a bottle of champagne. And I see my mom lean into the camera, and she says, "Are they? Are they playing football?" <laughs> Oh my gosh. So the question I've got out of all of this is, were you wearing your Seahawks jersey when you got married? You were actually, okay, so you were actually wearing the, you know, that's our our wedding gowns. Yeah. I love that. So your friends, so your friends, did you, did you guys normally have an organized football game that you participated in or was this? No, no, so this is just a random, random, random. Okay. So you, you, in a week, we planned it in a week and carry and pulled it off. I love that. That's awesome. That may be the most creative wedding I've I've heard of. <laughs> Seriously, that's so cool. Wow. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. Your dad's in his in his mili- dress military yeah. uniform and you're wearing a football jersey. <laughs> it was oh awesome. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Well, I had that there's there's we'll, we'll back out of that rabbit rabbit hole and come back to the company. <laughs> I wanted to ask that question, but just, you brought it up. Well, it was so yeah. fitting, too, for tomboys to have a football yeah. wedding, right? No, I think yeah. it's great. Yeah. Running a business is easy. <laughs> bringing, bringing, bringing fashion to the, the marketplace is easy. So you know, easy. There's so never easy. been any problem. Yeah. What's, <laughs> I, I like to ask this question of entrepreneurs because I think we learn from it. What was an unexpected challenge that you guys stumbled on during during your early phases that you weren't prepared for? Um, there were a lot of things. Number one is probably because, you know, my job was, was I had two jobs really. One was not to run out of money and not to screw it up. Uh, and then Naomi did everything else. But uh, so, <laughs> so you so had the I hard was, jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so just uh, fundraising. Fundraising was really hard. And excuse me, you know, I, I get it because here we were a lesbian couple with zero experience in the industry. And, you know, we weren't 25 and, and uh, it was, there were just a lot of things kind of stacked up against us, but also 
we just happened to be kind of riding the wave of the zeitgeist of what was going on. So we there, I can't tell you the number of times that I sat down trying to raise some money from a room full of white guys that would say, well, what's wrong with Victoria's Secret? And so, you know, we, we had, they, they have since learned that they were behind the zeitgeist. Uh, but that was, that was hard. And then there were, there were just other things in terms of hiring and, and how you think about hiring uh, when you're working with uh, with uh, 3PLs or, or third-party logistics to, for your shipping and uh, just a lot of things that we had to kind of learn via the school of hard knocks. And so, uh, you know, that's just part of the journey. It's, it's, it's neither here nor there, but uh, there were certainly, if I were doing it again today, I would uh, do a lot of things very differently. What would give me an example of something you would do differently today? Um, I think that, uh, well, I could say one of the first things would be, well, a I would have a network of people that I could easily get checks from, so that would that would be easy because now I have a, a tremendous network for uh, for investment. But uh, the other thing I think would be one of the early lessons when we moved our when we stopped doing our shipping internally and we moved it outside. We went to a company that had a lot of experience with wholesale, but they didn't really understand the direct-to-consumer. And so, um, we, and then we moved, the second move to, a, to not a very good one. So really finding that, that third-party logistics or warehouse partnership early on that you can grow and scale with was important. And I think that we thought we could do it together, but, uh, but that, wasn't, that wasn't the right lesson. We didn't need to be teaching and and learning with with someone along the way, we should have gone with someone that knew what they were doing. Okay, now well, that's 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 wisdom. <laughs> One of the things that I saw about you, and you've got a a picture behind you. Sorry, words can be hard for me sometimes. Of, on Inc. Five Hundred, and I may be the only kid in America who started reading that magazine when that when it started coming out in what nineteen eighty. I was, you know, I, I always found Inc. Magazine to be fascinating and the Inc. 500 is, you know, and I would, every year that I would look at it, I'd look and see what companies from Washington were in it just because it was interesting to me. What was that like? Cause you're the first, wow. you're the first, you're the first person that I've ever had the opportunity to chat with that's made that list. Thank you. That I'm aware and, of. Yeah. Well, yeah. we've made it four years in a row. Uh, we were on the, <sighs> uh, and the Inc. 500 the first two years. And so, yeah, when it came out that first year and we were, I think it says we were 231. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, I was kind of blown away. I, I couldn't believe that, that we made that list. And, you know, it's all relative in terms of, of the size we were and the, and, and the growth spurt that was primarily because of introducing underwear boxer briefs. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it's, it uh, was pretty incredible. And uh, we were very proud of of that. And then the fact that they came and, and shot our team and, and did a studio shoot, it was, it was a big deal. It was, it was very meaningful. And now it's four years in a row, four years in a row. And in fact, yesterday's uh, Inc magazine came out and they featured us in the couples who have businesses together section. So I read that I did. So that was just yesterday. Somehow I read that this morning. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It just came out. Another place that I saw you, was in Forbes 50 over 50. Yes. And how do I want to say this? 
we tend to celebrate young entrepreneurs, like the 30 under 30, the 40, 40, you know, and it seems to cut off at 40. So the fact that Forbes talked about 50 year olds and you started this company when you were how old? I was uh, 51. 51 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think by the time we get to our fifties, we're, we're most of us, I think are fairly risk adverse because we're looking to retirement and settle down and all this stuff. It's very wise. That's not me, but, um, <laughs> so I, I saw that article and it kind of, it kind of resonated with me because I'm like, all right, what, what is your peer group said to you? What, what did your, what, what is, what did your peer group say when you guys started this? Did they think you were crazy? I mean, yeah, you know, well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't think we were really paying much attention to what anyone was saying about us at the time, but, but I'm okay. sure that, uh, that people thought it was crazy. Um, it was crazy. Look, that they weren't, they aren't wrong. Um, it was, it was, a, it was, it was absolutely insane. And it was a huge risk at, at that age to take. And again, we just kind of left and then it kept feeling like, okay, there's momentum. There's something here. There's something here. We have to keep at it and figure out what, what that is and what that means. And we can make a difference. And it's really important to us. And uh, we've, we've, we have made a difference. We've made a difference in, in tremendous a difference in people's lives. And we continue to make a difference. There's something coming in, in May that's going to blow everyone's mind, including mine, um, that I can't talk about, but, but, there, but it's, it's, it's historical. And so um, that's, that's really why we did it. And so it was, it was more of a responsibility uh, than anything, it, especially in the early days. It was just that we had to do what we wanted people like us to be seen and heard and recognized and, you know, representation is everything. And so that was, it was just an, an option. And honestly, we lost some friendships uh, because of the fact that we became so absorbed and obsessed and, you know, laser focused on building a company. And, and I think that people, you know, miss the old versions of us where we were, we didn't just want to talk about business all the time, but on the flip side of that, we now have a tremendous uh, vibrant community of fellow entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, I feel like it, at 51, I found my people and in a really solid, strong way. So it's, it's been a, a phenomenally wonderful experience for me personally. What did your parents say when you said you were going to open a clothing line and underwear? You know, I think that it, it, they, they'd been putting up with my insanity for so many years. I think they just probably rolled their eyes and thought, well, here she goes again. They, you know, when okay. I sold everything and went to film school, I think they were like, what? You've got an, you know, your executive director of a human services agency and you're going to go do what? So, so yeah, I think at that point they were just like, okay, more power to you. They did write the first check. So they, they, okay. uh, they did, they did support. They did support. They, they, okay. That's, that's, I mean, what more can we ask from our parents? I mean, I agree. You know, I agree. Yeah. What more, um, what more can we ask of our, of our parents? I, uh, yeah, I could, yeah. Anyway. Well, one thing, okay, so I I had another question. So you you kind of teed it up for me and I'm going to, you know, bungle it. But um, a gnome rogue? 
You oh my gosh, played, World of Warcraft, yes. You played WoW? Yes, I did. I had a level You were one 80. of those horrible little creatures. Yes, yes, a gnome rogue. Oh and I, I, you know, I like being in stealth mode. Oh yes, I, I miss that game to this day. But my wife said, absolutely not. I'm not moving here from Washington, D.C. if you're going to stay up till four in the morning playing some game. <laughs> so I had to give it up so how many, turkey. Oh... How many hours were you playing oh, at your peak? What were you? What, oh. and I'm, I'm asking because I'm a I'm a reformed WoW player myself. Oh, you so. are. I, I somehow yeah. would have guessed that, Scott. Uh, <laughs> let's see. You know, I, I I can't even imagine how many hours I was playing, and it would depend. You know, I was in political, so during the political season, I was on the road 70 percent of the time. So I didn't play a lot then. But then. You know, after the election and I have the rest of the winter and it's Seattle and it's rainy, uh, yeah, I can't even begin to tell you how many hours I played. And I was in, in a, uh, uh, you know, I had a, a, a great group of, of uh, really friends and family. And so we, and it was all, you know, we had from six-year-old to 65-year-olds in this group and we would just go in and, and play together and nobody would know that we're, you know, this, this, this uh, kind of misfit group of people out there taking on the dragons and all the, all I just, I read that and I started laughing. (laughs) I just thought, no, wait a second. This is not something that I think I've ever found published about an entrepreneur that they, you know, I played, wow. Um, Because, you know, you know, the, the hustle culture, the, the grind all the time. And, and I know this was predates that for you, but it's just still, I just, I, Oh, if you could have seen my face when I read that for the first time, I was, I was, I was grinning. I was, I was chuckling as I am right now. Oh, I, think I bet. That, I, so you'll, I you'll think know that, the inside joke, Leroy Jenkins then. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I started playing WoW when it first came out. I, I moved from another uh, multiplayer game and uh, I stopped probably after the second or third expansion pack. I just, it yeah. just started going in directions. I just didn't quite, you know, I was like, eh, I don't know, storyline. My son. You know, oh, yeah. I don't know how many level level eighty characters he had or has. <laughs> I, you know, I, um, but anyway, it was that's, awesome. that's one of those games where um, oh, it's only ten o'clock. Oh, it's four in the morning. Exactly. How did, how did I just lose six hours of my life just yeah. without a blink? You know, exactly. Boom. Well, I've always been an early Can- adapter of technology, and so I don't know if you remember when the Sierra Kings Quest games came out. Yes. And, yes. And in fact, as a, as a you know, in my twenties, I had a huge callus from playing. Uh, um, Ms. Pac-Man all the time. So I've always been an early adapter. <laughs> all right. So I'll, I'll share my, 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 my nerd badge of honor. <laughs> um, I can't remember what year it was, but Nintendo had released their original Nintendo entertainment system to the United States. Remember, remember do you remember that? Okay. Oh yeah. And I was, I don't remember what I was doing exactly for work. It was, it was post-college. Um, there was an ad in the Seattle Post Intelligence at that time. That that paper doesn't exist anymore, really. And it was a full page ad saying, "We're looking for game counselors. Come come and come and be a game counselor. Help people explore new worlds, or you know, blah blah blah." Full page ad. And it was either two hundred or three hundred people applied for this job. And so we, I end up at the Nintendo campus, and their their criteria was, "Well, which games have you beaten?" And I started saying what I, I had claimed to beat and they go, well, prove it. And I was one of two people they hired because I, I you beat the three it. games that they were. Yeah. I had Under beaten the pressure. three games. That, 
Yeah. And I beat Zelda, Metroid, and, and Kid Icarus. And in fact, on Metroid, I was able to show them some secret areas that weren't, you know, that, that were Easter eggs that were coded in and I had found. Oh, I and so it. I was a game counselor at Nintendo for a while, answering <laughs> answering phone calls from people across America on how to beat Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> and I just did it for fun. It was just for fun. That's fantastic. And then after that, I ended up selling software at Egghead Software. Do you oh, remember yeah. Egghead oh, Software? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so I worked at the one in Bellevue by the Microsoft campus. So there'd be, you know, my first customer was Paul Allen. He came in to buy a magazine and the manager, I'm like ringing him up because it's like my first time at the cash register. Right. And the manager's like hovering over me and, and I just, you know, thank you. Thank you very much. And, you know, I'm just tunnel vision. And he goes, you know who that was? I go, no, I really don't. He goes, that was Paul Allen. I'm like, oh, okay. I had no clue because I couldn't figure out the cash register at this moment in time. (laughs) Um, So I, amazing. yeah, I kind of adapted this stuff early too. And, um, I have to consciously keep myself away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Productivity is, so are you, are you playing any games now? Yeah, actually, I'm, uh, we have the Xbox one, I think I keep thinking I'm ready to upgrade, but I haven't run that up the flagpole at home. Uh, and (laughs) Naomi's the CEO at home. And so, uh, and, and so we play Borderlands three. Well, we played the other ones, but yeah, Borderlands three is, is a game we'll play together. You know, we, we like to play for an hour or two and then, and then watch a show at night. And so that's, okay. that's our, that's our thing right now. That's your thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> have you played that? No, I have not played that one. Oh, it's, I, it's good. I, I, I allow myself SimCity ah. build it on my iPad. Okay. Okay. And I've, purposely disconnected my credit card so that I can't buy in-game purchases. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah I just, <laughs> mm. so oh. that's, that's where I've gone. Awesome. Well, you tease something coming in May and we won't, I won't push mm-hmm. you too much on that, but I, I, but I did, I do want to ask you, so I did see something you, you, you recently came out with a, a Batman. Yes. Inspired. Yes. So what's the, what's the process like? Working with a with a major brand like that, do they are they extremely um, easy to work with? Or are they extremely like oh, micromanaging? Warner Brothers are great. Uh, they reached out to us actually, and um, you know I'm pretty far removed from the the details of the day to day of the business, but uh, but yeah, they've been a great partnership for us and and really easy to work with. We do have to run the 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 uh, you know the the uh, prints by them to make sure that they, they agree and, and approve them. But yeah, they've been, it's been a great collab. Okay. Any, any type of collaborations coming up before the, before, you know, in the next, in the near future, not, no, not asking about the May thing, but the, you the know, May is there thing anything is, else? Uh, yeah, no. But anything coming up for spring, maybe, you know, um, let's see for spring, it would be, well, we've got some, we always have new prints that are dropping, but uh, not any collabs right now. Not until May. How, That's the big one. How often do you uh, release new new prints? Usually once a month, once or twice a wow. month. Yeah, yeah, we oh, try to. Wow. Got to keep our, keep our current customers happy. They like the new print drops. So what's been, let me ask you this question. What's been a print drop that, was more surprising to you than like it was more like more popular than you might have thought of. Well, anything pop to mind? Um, 
I don't know if I can think of one that was more popular than I thought, but I do remember, you know, in the early days, it would just be me and Naomi and it'd be like, you know what, let's put dinosaurs on underwear. Our customer will love dinosaurs. And oh my gosh, we still carry dinosaurs. It's still one of our top selling. And uh, okay. so that was really fun. And in, in fact, I often tell the, the merchandising team that if they're looking for inspiration, they should go to the eight-year-old boy section of the store and, and see what's selling there. And that's, that's our core customer. And so, yeah, colorful dinosaurs are the bomb. <laughs> okay. That's, that's... I know. It's pretty you, wild. So your, your title was co-founder and you were the CEO and yes. you've transitioned out of that role. So yes. what's your role with the company nowadays? Uh, I'm co-founder and president. And so um, I uh, basically am, show up for our co-founder things like doing podcasts and, and doing speaker presentations. Uh, I'll be part of a, a, a group down in Nike in a, in a couple of weeks and uh, so it's really just wanting to tell the founder story and to work on on uh, getting that story out. And then whatever else the team needs from us, we're, we're here to, to help with. But we're out of and the day-to-day. Na- day. And what's Naomi's role? Is it? A similar role, but she just, uh, because she completed her big project, which was to get us B Corp certified. Woohoo! So last month we became B Corp certified, which is really shows our commitment to community sustainability and, uh, and, and, uh, just our give back, uh, values and philosophy. That's great. Congratulations. And how many, how many employees are at the company nowadays? We have 38 employees now, and I think we've got two job openings. Did you ever think that you'd be having 40 employees? Never. It's crazy. But the interesting thing about where we are now, because we've kind of moved out of startup phase and we're now into, you know, real corporation. And so the, the, the skill set that we needed to build the company were generalists. We needed people that were utility knives that could do a lot of things. And now we're moving into scale. So we have specialists. So it's been really remarkable. I'm incredibly proud of the team that is that are still here that are, have been able to adapt from being a generalist to a, a specialist. And then I'm also incredibly impressed with the caliber of, of customer that, or of, of employee that we're able to bring in. Next two years, what, what do you envision Tomboy X looking like in a couple of years? I, you know, I, I want to grow, continue to see the company grow and scale. Um, I think that we're a lifestyle brand and that we're here to stay and that we're here to make a difference. And so I, I want to, I want to be the next, you know, hundred million dollar company. So look out. Okay. I, I am not too worried about you making that actually. <laughs> I, I think that's just a, I think that's, I mean, you don't want to count your pennies before you get them. But yeah, I think yeah, that's exactly. A, exactly. Well, I want to wrap this up. Cause I know, like you mentioned earlier, you've got more shows today. Yes. You're a busy woman. <laughs> Tacos or pizza? Depends on the day. Yeah, I guess I I probably go pizza first. Toppings? Oh, pepperoni, mushrooms, and black olives. Where's a great place to get a cup of coffee that I might not know about in the Seattle area? Oh gosh, uh, it used to be called. And that's Bird- my polite way of saying I know Starbucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, we've got a, a place uh, by us that used to be called Bird on a Wire, and it's a, mm-hmm. it's a little coffee shop just over in West Seattle. 
um, uh, located, I think, on Barton and 35th. So a secret okay. little spot. Okay. And when you go there, what would you be drinking? Oh, a non-fat, a tall, double tall non-fat latte. And what would Naomi be drinking? She would be drinking the same thing, actually. Okay. <laughs> what haven't I asked you that I should have? Well, you, you got the gaming question, so that's the one that most people miss. Uh, let's see. Uh, you should ask us about how much we give back because uh, it's, it's – Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's an important yeah. part of who we are. Uh, we've been – from the beginning, we've always had a, a, a um, charitable component of the business, and that continues to this day. So I'm really proud of the relationships and the organizations. We've been very involved with Mary's Place locally as well as youth care and then internationally or nationally. There's a Trevor Project, which helps kids uh, – LGBTQ kids who are suicidal, and then internationally, uh, there's an organization called Safe Place, and it is a place that it, um, it helps LGBT refugees uh, find housing okay. when they've had to leave their um, hostile countries. Okay. Actually, I came up with another question. Okay, great. If you could meet one entrepreneurial person Alive or deceased, who would you want to who would you want to sit down and have coffee with and talk to? Well, I've always said I, I don't know if, if she qualifies, but uh, you know the difference that Cheryl Sandberg made in my life and in our lives and in women entrepreneurs' lives with the book that she wrote called Lean In. Uh, we mm-hmm. happen to to really benefit from that because it changed the the way that. Uh, women were thinking about helping each other. You know, I, I think that there, for a long time it was, you know, you have to elbow your way into the boys club. And once you're in there, you've got to guard your, guard your space. And Cheryl said, eh, we got to stop that. We, if we don't help each other, then no one is. And I think that is absolutely the truth. And, and that, that thought and that um, mentality just spawned, you know, all of these different organizations in various cities. And then women started helping each other and building networks and opening doors and leaving doors open behind them. And, and, uh, and I think that that's really made a tremendous difference um, with, uh, with our, with our business and, and uh, the fundraising. Actually, more questions are popping into my brain. I'm going to give you the power of the general manager. Because since you wore a 12 jersey, <laughs> who's the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks this coming season? I don't know. I wish they'd get Kaepernick. <laughs> now, now, do you, th- I mean. Hmm. I know. I know. It's controversial. No, no, no. That's not, no. And it shouldn't be. I know. My reservation about him is he hasn't played in five years. Fair. I don't know. I That's the reservation I have. And I almost feel like. Uh, mm, the expectations I don't think would be realistic for the what could be delivered on the field. Right. That's well, that's my that's my honest reservation about Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Is the five and I can't believe it's been five years. I can't either. Wow. Look, as long as it's not Tom Brady, it's we're going to be all right. <laughs> well, he's coming back. I know. I know. I, that didn't last long. I, I and and, and I, I'll be honest with you, the Russell Wilson thing followed with Bobby Wagner was a very gloomy. I'm still depressed. Yeah. Yeah. It I'm was, still depressed. I, I can't say that I was surprised, but, um, you know, 
I'm more excited I'm, I'm about the, the 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 Kraken and uh, the Seattle Storm back in the the Climate Pledge Arena. That that's exciting. I was looking at uh, it used to be a season ticket holder for the Storm, so I'm ready to get back into that. So okay. Yeah. And have you been to any Kraken games? Uh, no, I haven't. I had an opportunity to, but I uh, I gave the ticket to my dad instead. So he and he and Naomi went. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I have not been to one. I've never been to a hockey game. Oh. And I know. And I uh, I, I got to have one of these conversations with the Kraken's radio play-by-play guy. And, you know, he just kind of looked at me like, you know, what? You're talking <laughs> to a hockey guy and you've never been to a hockey game? <laughs> right. We used are, to go. Do you, are, you, are you a baseball fan at all? Oh, and I used to be. I, back in the day, you know, when we lived in Kansas City, I was a Royals fan, but uh, I, I go to the games once in a while, but I don't really follow it. That's that's not your sport. No. So if you had to pick one 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 team to root for, and you can only pick for one team, who would you root for? Uh, Seattle Storm all day long. You'd root okay. The yeah, storm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go Storm. I felt like there was one other question on the tip of my tongue, and this is where I always, you know, this is the informal nature of things. Well, I want to thank you for your, your time. And I, I think what your, your company is doing is amazing. And I'm, I love to see successful businesses um, make a difference. Thank you. Actually, I do know what my last question is. Okay. I'm in. My words. So you, you mentioned earlier that when you were fundraising to start, you know, you're knocking on the doors of, you know, white guys. Mm-hmm. And now you have a better Rolodex. Very. Are you seeing a change in the market of investors to being more diverse. Yes. And I think, I mean, despite the dismal numbers still last year, 2% of institutional dollars went to female founders, but there have been in the, in the nine years since we started this, and really we didn't start fundraising until 2015. So uh, it hasn't been that long when you when you look at the, the scope of things, but the reality is that a lot of women have started new funds. We're challenging the way that people think about what makes a business successful. It's uh, you know the venture capital model has been very much uh, winner takes all, as opposed to you know think about <clears throat> if you have a portfolio of ten companies and all of them do well or all of them become. $500 million companies, think of the jobs that you've created, think of the businesses that you've created and sustained versus one unicorn. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's a mentality that I think is changing and in the way that people think about investment. And I think it's the way of the future. It's about taking care of, of uh, communities and the environment. And so I also think that people are focusing much more on companies that share their values you know, when, when corporations were deemed personhood, I remember. And uh, so, you know, if, if you're going to be deemed personhood, you've got to show up and, and be responsible for the actions and your impact on the planet and on people's lives. And so I think that that's an important piece. I, I agree very, very strongly. By chance, are you watching the show on HBO called Super Pumped, the story of Uber? Oh, I can't wait to watch it. I'm addicted to those kind of shows. I haven't watched it's, it yet. It's on. Okay, great. It's on. And I so it's on Sundays. And so the last episode I just watched and I was just like, it's, it's the hundred percent. It's the other side of the coin from what you just suggested. 
Right. Okay. Yep. And it just feels, um, there's a line and I'm going to, I'm not going to do it justice, but basically the, one of the early investors was saying, you know, you're not taking care of your people. Mm-hmm. And, and the founder's line was, well, people still shop at Walmart. People still eat at McDonald's. Yep. They don't care what we do. There you have it. And I was just like, I was just like, wow. And it was, it was pretty powerful and made me like my, my, my wife said, she goes, I'm never taking an Uber again. Yeah. I believe that the company's trying to uh, modify its behavior, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's kind of like the that. Victoria's secrets, right? It's, it's like, okay, now they're pivoting. Now they're suddenly having diverse models. Now they're rethinking the way of doing, but the reality is, is that they were formed based on a certain set of values and so that's mm-hmm. why, you know, why, why give it a second chance? Why not go with companies and founders that were developed or because of what they believed in and they've stuck by that. So yeah, I deleted the Uber app many years ago and, and only take Lyft because of the, that very thing. But I think that that's, that's the thing. We have to hold, hold companies and people accountable for their actions, regardless of if they're in the past or not. And they're trying to, you know, bring in a uh, you know, new, new guard, but that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact of what the principles that they were built on. Right. So I can't wait to Thank watch you it. so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, I can't tell you what's enjoyable. I, I'm not going to tell you that you're going to enjoy the right. show, right? but it's going to be, Yeah. It's, it's going to probably make you annoyed and dare I say, even angry. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. Do you watch billions? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And try to get caught up in the Theranos one, read the book and just read. I I haven't read. I haven't done that one. Oh, that's, that's incredible. And then the, the Sackler, you know, dope sick. Um, yes, I haven't watched that either, but yeah. Yeah. So I, so I read that book, um, about the Sacklers and talk about, get angry. I mean, it's, it's just horrifying, but yeah, I've, I've become quite the addict for any kind of business topic books. Well, I will, I will tell you this, like, cause I, last night after watching the episode of, of, um, super pumped, I went and looked on my iPad and did, you know, like looked it up and I ended up buying the book and I started reading it. But, um, so this is going to wrap up in just one season, but they're going to do another season and it's going to be about Facebook. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So That'll be fascinating. Be, yeah. So, well, this, we're certainly not talking your business now, are we? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. One last question. Yeah, yeah. You're going to go out to dinner on a Thursday night. Uh-huh. Where are you going to go? Il Nido. I always love to hear these tips where yeah. people go in their communities. Il Nido in West Seattle. Amazing pasta, amazing service, right down on Alki in the old homestead building. Uh, oh, in the old homestead. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Okay. Fabulous. All right. Although this All Thursday, right. no, next Thursday, I'm going to the new place and I'm going to space out on the name in Georgetown, but the former chef at Canlis opened a, a place in Georgetown and it's weeks before you can get in. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh. it's, uh, he's, he just opened it up and uh, I hear it's, it's quite exciting, but the, Actually, we're going on a Wednesday because that's Tomo is the name. T-O-M-O. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll keep an eye out on that one. I had not heard about that one. Yeah. Um, 
Well, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed chatting with you today. Same to you, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.